right. Hey, good afternoon, y'all. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Week's almost over. So looking forward to the weekend. Week's almost over. We're like well into into the month. Feeling good. Robert, I, I think that pretty soon we're going to be 10% done with the year. When we record next week, we're we're going to talk about how February 8th is a magical date, which means the year is 10% over. And so you can get mm. behind or ahead on your goals really quickly. And, and that date is crucial as you're looking at what you're accomplishing for the year, things like that. I'm excited about that episode. I think mm-hmm. it's a little weird to think about the year in terms of percentages. That's really fascinating to me. So I'm stoked for that. Yeah, I feel like we just came back from winter break and 10%'s gone. I think it really turns the heat on. That's the point, right? It comes really fast. And I think that if you chunk up a year and you know, usually we think about quarters or even months, but you can think before you know it, you get back, you get settled in, you get your email all cleared out, and then you look up and the year is 10% over. If you were intentional about that, what could you do? What could you get a jump start on? that you normally aren't able to. So could be the difference between meeting your goals or not. So it's a really key time. And a lot of the people that I really look up to professionally really focus on this time. Mm. They use the end of the year to tie up loose ends, to do some planning, and then they hit basically day one. They're coming in hot, ready to go. And it's because this time is is so critical. The heat is certainly on then, Robert. And I think I want to go back to a topic that we discussed previously. We talked about essentialism and essential intent in one of our previous episodes. And a lot of our discussion really centered on the implementation of essential intent and essentialism at a personal level, at a career, personal career growth level. And one of the things that I did a kind of side mention in that episode on is you can really use essentialism and essential intent for your team. Or if you have clients that ask for your help with these sort of things, you can work with your client on helping them define, you know, their essential intent and uh, what they want to do. And this is something that was introduced to me by, you know, one of our colleagues. And so he, he developed the whole methodology around it. And I'm not going to go specifically into that, you know, methodology, but I do want to go through what does it mean to apply something like essentialism at an organization rather than a personal level. And I think maybe the best way to introduce that is a, a scenario. A lot of times an organization or a team, they'll be working on their day-to-day activities and they'll speak in terms of, we need to make this widget faster, or we need to be able to support this particular service, or we need a new UI, or we need to migrate off of on-premises infrastructure to cloud infrastructure, or, hey, we need to create new integrations. And all of those things seem very practical. Yeah, we should do that. Like, why not? But as you go deeper into the year and you have more conversations, you start to, maybe if you're not asking them out loud, maybe in your head, you're starting to ask some questions like, what should we prioritize? We have these things that we have to do. We're not going to be able to get them all done. Which one, which one should get done? All the way to like sometimes almost an existential question of why are we even doing this? What's my role? I, I don't know if you've experienced that, but yeah. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Igor, I've got a question for you because I, I think, yes, I've been in these, this scenario, a lot of the ones that you've laid out there. I think I've been in that place before. And I think if I think back to how I responded to those situations, 
it was to ask the question, like, hey, what's the strategy here? Because oftentimes I think I found myself like mired in the tactical day-to-day stuff and I lost the whole force for the trees thing. And then that's typically when people stop, start talking about, oh, hey, let's take a step back. What's the overall objective here or what's the guiding principles and strategies? So I'm with you on the scenario. I would love your take on how essential intent might be different than objectives or strategy or even like a vision or a mission statement, something like that. It's important for us to talk about the relationships between those things because I do, after essential intent was introduced, I had the same exact question. Because at the same time, we're also unveiling things like objective and key results, which is a like a goal management structure. And I was like, okay, isn't, why do we need essential intent? We just, we should just use OKRs. Or maybe the OKRs are slightly more granular. Maybe it's just our vision statement. And, and I do think they're distinct. And I also don't think that they're, they conflict with one another. I, as I've started to think through that, I think you can really reconcile and by having different layers of this sort of process to help with decision making, it, they all support each other. And one of the big quotes from the book about essential intent is the definition. Essential intent is one decision that answers a thousand later decisions. And so it's like an efficiency mechanism. And either in the book or in a blog post about the book, there's, there are these two graphics. One is a sort of dot with a bunch of arrows coming out of it in random directions, and they're all roughly the same length. And I think what that graphically represents is an organization, a group of people, or a single person with doing multiple different things, haphazardly ad hoc. And over time, if you think about physics, those vectors cancel each other out and you stay in one place. And then, so that's a anti-pattern. That's Charles, what you were talking about before, and, and Igor, what you teed off on. And then the other graphic is that same dot with a really long arrow pointing north. And that implies that all of the individual vectors or human efforts or uh, collective group effort is pointed in a single direction. And that's how massive change, that's how goals are met. And so by just defining your essential intent, by having the decision that answers a hundred smaller questions, people are much more likely, it's much easier to make those prioritization discussions around what you should be working on in a given day. And maybe we can just imagine, I feel like we do this every episode, but we should imagine a two by two matrix. Y'all, y'all knew where I was heading with this. We always, <laughs> imagining. We always bring back the two by two matrix. And one side of the matrix is bland, generic, and then inspirational on the other end. So that's, those are the two boxes. And then on the other axis, it's vague and concrete. We have four combinations. We have, we have something that's inspirational and vague. And most of the time, the way that I have experienced something that's inspirational and vague is probably something like a vision statement. I read a vision statement or a mission statement and I'm like, yeah, oh boy, this is really gets me fired up. There's yeah, an inspirational mo- component to most it. Most inspirational things I hear are vague, though. Like a, it's almost <laughs> there, there, a prerequisite a, at times. There's like a it? vague nature to it, and I so, think so. And, and that's how I see a vision statement. And by the way, that there's only something wrong with it if you don't have something concrete to help support it. So let's go to the concrete side. So most companies have a vision statement, 
And then they're like, oh, this is really vague. We should get pretty concrete. And so they'll implement something like management by objectives, KPIs, OKRs, goals, whatever it is, uh, quarterly objectives. And that's in the part of the matrix that's bland and concrete. Would you say that the act of making something concrete, even if you start from something inspirational or even aspirational, you run the risk of pushing it towards blandness? Yeah, and I think it's pretty common, right? If you're not, if you, if inspirational is not a consideration in, in the crafting of your objectives, because you're looking for something more concrete, I think the, the momentum takes them into the bland category. So there's this sort of tug of war happening where in order to inspire, at times you have to be concise and clear and short and, and maybe a little vague. And then as things become concrete in pursuit of that inspirational aspiration, you trend towards blandness. I, I have to say, I'm very skeptical at this point because I, I <laughs> know exactly what you're going to say. It's, oh, essential intent is like the Goldilocks between mm. vision and <laughs> objectives. And I'm like, dude, that seems like a lot of BS. It seems like something a consultant would say in a two by two matrix to get people to throw money at them to help solve the problem. Like I'm all in on essential intent when it comes to like individual, because there's a lot of value and kind of soul searching for that unification that moves you forward thing. So I'm really curious about how you've seen this play out in practice. And can you really thread the needle right between what was it inspirational and vague and bland and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm skeptical. You're also practicing for our next series, which is going to require a lot of disagreement and argumentation yeah, yeah. between us. So getting geared up. Yeah. This it's gonna is be good. me and Charles going at it. Okay. So uh, I, I think we understand the framework. Yeah. The two yeah. by two matrix. We two understand matrix. The, the polarities around mm-hmm. vision and inspiration and concreteness. Charles called BS immediately, which I like. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. What do you have to say about all that now? What's next? Yeah. And Charles, by the way, is completely right. Essential intent is presented as the Goldilocks. It's not as vague as a vision statement, and it's also not as bland as a quarterly objective. And some of it really has to do with, so how do we prevent things from going bland? And probably the thing that has the most effect on that is the time horizon. Quarterly objectives, because they're constrained within a three-month period, there's only so much change you can affect three months at a time or one month at a time. And so by the nature of the time scope, you are going to be imparting some level of blandness to it. And OKRs very commonly are set at a, on a quarterly level. And so the way that essential intent works, it's not a replacement. You know, it's not, hey, stop doing quarterly objectives and stop having a vision statement and just do your essential intent. The assertion for essential intent is that you have a vision statement that's big, you have OKRs or some sort of objectives that are bland, this is a bridge for them, right? This fills in uncovered space that your team needs to make progress. It, is, it just, is it just an intermediate time horizon? Because I'm with you on the vision is usually, you know, far off into the future, probably multi-generational in duration length. Quarterly objective, there's a lot of space in there. So when is it just, hey, essential intent targets somewhere five, 10 years down the road as opposed to 100 or a quarter? Or is there more to it than that? 
I, when I really started to think about the, the factor of the time horizon and its effect on this, this two by two, these polarities, we can say, between one and five years, that's the sweet spot for the essential intent. And, and most businesses can't operate having their objectives be one year. Like they have to break them down further into probably at least quarters. And most businesses break them down probably even on a monthly basis. So if we're, if we're thinking about the way that the time horizon affects these polarities, essential intent to me is like a one to five year time horizon. And at some point, you may never achieve your vision. And that's part of why it's vague. Like the vision should be written in such a way probably to withstand the test of time. But your essential intent should refresh when it's completed, just like your quarterly objectives should change within their time horizon when, when they're completed. Essential intent is, there; it's concrete, it's measurable. And so I, I do like the idea of thinking about this as a bridge between or filling in the gap, because if you go back to the personal angle, and maybe this will help inform the organizational angle, I may say, I want to be an exceptional human being, which could, that's like ultra vague. And a lot of people have that as an objective or as a vision for their life. And that's an inspiring to them. It, it checks all those boxes, meaningfully vague. That lasts decades. That's your whole life. And, but an essential intent, to your point, like you're at a certain snapshot in life. Your organization is at a certain snapshot in time. The essential intent is what sort of bridges that gap, inspirational and concrete, meaningful and measurable. And so it's the one decision, like Greg McCone says, that settles a thousand later decisions. Like I can really wrap my head around that for an individual. I think that makes sense. Organization, Let's like take an a, organizational I, example, Robert. Yeah, I like what you're helps. saying, because I, I agree there's a gap. There's a gap exactly where you said there's a gap. And you're not trying to say we're in this magic quadrant and this solves all your problems. I'm like, I'm tracking with you there. So bring it home and, and show, because I, I can't quite put my finger on how essential intent at an organizational lens, like solves that problem. We agree on the problem. Not sure we agree yet on the solution. And I'm, I think this is an example from the book. And, and so it's the year is 2005. And we'll do like the noise. Back in the year 2005. The rewind. The rewind. And there's a tragedy that happened in in August of 2005. uh, Hurricane Katrina hit the east coast of the United States and um, Louisiana. New Orleans in particular. The levees that are supposed to hold back some of the storm broke. And the bunch of wards in New Orleans came underwater. So there's refugees a lot of death, a lot of reconstruction that started to happen. And you fast forward a little bit, you know, two years ahead of time, and some parts of New Orleans, you know, still haven't really been touched. And in swoops a, an organization, Brad Pitt was part of, part of this organization. And the organization created an intent to rebuild homes for the Lower Ninth Ward that were affordable, green, storm-resistant, and they had a quantity in mind. I think it was 150, something like that. And so that's, that was the stated essential intent. Now, that's not a vision. The vision for this might be to, to rebuild the lives of the residents of the Lower Ninth Ward post-Katrina. And a quarterly objective m- might be something s- smaller. You may not be able to fully build you know, these homes for these residents at this quantity, and, or you may not do it in a way that's 
that adheres to them being green or storm resistant or, or things like that. And, and that's an organizational example of it's a little bit larger than a quarterly objective. This is something that's going to take over a year to get done. But it's also not so vague as we're going to get people back in their homes in the lower ninth ward. So that's an organizational example. Another organizational example came from the UK where the prime minister created a new role called the digital champion. And the digital champion was tasked with championing the benefits of the internet for the country. And uh, I think that was staffed by Martha Fox. And the essential intent for Martha was, we're going to get everyone in the UK online by 2012, also a multi-year time horizon and a specific goal. So that's, I'm going to say, the Goldilocks for essential intent. And also an example of how it sits in the middle between a vision and a quarterly objective, let's say. So I, I think I'm tracking with you a vision statement, and I'm just looking up Wikipedia, it says is an inspirational statement of an idealistic emotional future of a company or a group. We talk, we hear this all the time in the business. We call it North Star objective, things like that. And if you think about navigation, right? So you're manning some kind of operating, some kind of vehicle, vessel, whatever. And if you're sailing from point A to point B, you are like always off track. You're never like exactly right going the direction you need to go. And so there's constant course adjustments. In a navigation, there are these things called waypoints, which is basically the ending of one segment of your journey and the beginning of another. So it could be marked by, in an organization, it could be like a date, a milestone. When you're actually navigating, could be like a landmark or something like that. It sounds to me like essential intent really helps break up your vision statement, which is the longer journey maybe the never-ending journey into these manageable waypoints that you can use to achieve, for one thing, you can get there, it's measurable. And then once you get there, you can reassess and set your new direction and go to the next one by defining your next essential intent. And that could be one year, two years, five years. If you're thinking less than a year, you're, you should be using an essential intent to inform your goal setting, your objective setting, because you're probably a little bit too constrained. So it sits, like you said, in that sweet spot between the vision, which is purely inspirational, idealistic, emotional, and your concrete goals. This kind of helps set those waypoints in pursuit of your vision. Is that maybe another way to think about it? I, I think that's a good interpretation. I, I want to hear from Charles. Uh, Charles, Charles is still dubious, I think. I think it looks dubious. Less, yes. I always look dubious. That's true too. You look a little bit more dubious though. Mm -hmm. I I'm less skeptical. I really like that that the UK transformation minister, what whatever you called it, that one is like okay, like that I can see is inspirational and concrete. Like I, I give that to you. I. The, the next thing that I thought about it is, and this is where it's like, hey, maybe tell me a little bit about how a leader can help to elicit that from their team and the organization. Because now I'm more skeptical on, hey, there's a lot of research and work done in the space of strategic planning that takes you from vision, aspirational, inspirational, never ending down to objectives which you can then put metrics and that there's and in the nonprofit world, there's like vision mission, which is that middle thing between vision and these short term objectives. And now I'm just wondering, it's OK, is essential intent just a rebranding of 
some of this other stuff that helps to fit the, you know, that Goldilocks zone? Or is there truly something different in terms of the approach? Because I, I think everybody struggles with that. Like I have these long-term aspirations. I'm here right now doing tactical stuff. I need this middle waypoint. Essential intent you're proposing is one way of doing that. There are others out there. So what do you think is special about essential intent that makes it worthwhile to use as opposed to some of the other tools that are out there? Yeah, and I'll give you an example. So I did end up using essential intent with some clients. And the biggest benefit that I discussed when we were using it was like creating uh, focus, like consistent amounts of focus. And it goes back to that. We make this one decision to not have to make decisions down the road. And so what essential intent allowed the client to do is, and when I say the client, it's actually really complex because it was multiple product teams and stakeholders from different functional departments trying to deliver really valuable things for their customers. And they, the reason why I brought in essential intent is because they were making decisions at the functional level or at the different product levels that sometimes contradicted one another. And they did not have like a singular mindset. And the vision statement wouldn't help them. Like the vision statement was vague enough that it didn't help them really make decisions. It helped them maybe understand their values. And so by bringing in essential intent, you could test your decision making against the essential intent. And I think that's something that's unique because quarterly objectives usually are too small to be all encompassing, right? They'll, they'll usually focus on some small bit. But here you could, at any level of the organization, check your decision against the essential intent. And I think that's the thing that sets it apart from other mechanisms that, that I've come across. So you know? I, I, let me put together a couple of things because I think I'm finally tracking with you here. In the book, it talks about this, how will we know when we're done? So it's, it, it is this intermediate state where if you, and you said the term polarity earlier, I think that makes perfect sense, right? Like a very typical polarity is breathing. You can breathe in and it feels good for a while, but then you have to breathe out. You can't do both at the same time. There are benefits to breathing in, to breathing out, but you can't just do one, right? And so you can't just be too visionary and emotional because that ends up being vague. You can't just be too concrete and specific because that ends up being bland. And so the essential intent, really, the idea there just rebrands straddling that line, filling in that gap, like you said. And so I think as leaders in an organization, the, the objective there is to seek that balance always because you're always going to trend one way or another. So if you're getting too bland, you're in the middle of a pro, like a big program delivery that's going that's been going on for nine months or so, or you're in your third year, that's maybe the time to start injecting some of the more visionary type language and communication. And then likewise, as you start to set new direction for an organization, getting specific, we're going to build 150 affordable homes, right, in this area. That was a good example. We're going to get this many people, everyone on the internet. And I think it's you can inject the specificity in alongside the inspirational, aspirational. And so it seems like in an organization, it really it falls on the leadership side of the equation to make sure that polarity, those that balance is constantly, you know, being sought and found. Agree, disagree? Yeah, I don't know. This is too <laughs> woo for Charles. Yeah, I, 
to me, I think this is this sounds valuable just like other things sound valuable. And I guess I'm trying to find why and maybe you don't. Maybe you don't think this is well, it sounds like you do. You do think that this is better than other things out there to help people to connect short term objectives with broader vision. Yeah, it's I an have, organizational or leaders like toolkit. I, I think it's my the reason why I like this particular tool is because I find it to be efficient. You find your essential intent, you define your time horizon, whatever it is, one or five years. It's outcome driven not output-driven. And it's then very easy to communicate that over and over again. Yeah, what is it about the methodology used to arrive at essential intent that makes it so easy to find this thing that is elusive for most organizations if they don't do essential intent? That's, I think, the part that gets at me. It's like, ah, it's hard to connect short-term with long-term. We've got it. What is it about the approach? What's the insight here? that the essential intent practitioners of the world have that others don't, that allow them to arrive at this magical zone of inspirational and concrete? Yeah, I, I think the other methods, and it's usually not a, a competition with methods, it's usually you know, people just not doing it. And to me, it's like distraction and lack of focus. And, and those are the same thing. But that's what essential intent really addresses, I think, in a way that, you know, other tools may not be able to address. Because if you're using your essential intent as a decision-making guide and you're applying it consistently, it prevents you from chasing things that aren't additive to achieving that essential intent. And I think that's, to me, that's what sets it apart. That makes sense. It is It is a model that allows you to set an end date for something aspirational, which is a feature that's not in a lot of sort of aspirational toolkits. It gives you a, a permission or it's baked into the methodology to eliminate cutting out things that are quote unquote non-essential. It leads you to go through the intentional thought process of identifying what's essential to you, like the exploration step and then it, there it has also a focus on execution so it it is almost like essentialism and, and maybe this is partially of why you have a problem with it charles although i don't think it's a bad thing it peels the goodness from different things best practices or whatever you want to call it that other people have done in the past and come and and takes what's best throws everything else out and then has you try to really focus on this is the ideal time frame cutting out stuff is very important and also bringing, being practical, but bringing in the aspirational side is, is mandatory or things will fail. And so it, it is like an amalgam of some of the other things you've seen, but it, it does capture, it's also messy, right? Like it captures everything you need into one toolkit. So you can just start there and, and just push on essential intent. You don't need anything else, maybe? Yeah, it's, I guess, if, the, if essential intent didn't work and I was going to try to advise teams on how to solve this problem that essential intent solves, I would tell them, hey, you've got your aspirational vision. Great. You know what you need to do in the next three months. Perfect. Set some five-year goals. Isn't that really it? I'm being a little flippant well, about it. it but it's it's that... a little bit more approachable too, though, where, you know, Google, it, how many iterations of OKRs did it take them to actually get it to where it's 
in the system now, how many companies have OKRs are great. That's a big hill to climb to get to the point where you're doing them at scale consistently in a way that makes sense and, and furthers your goals. Essential intent almost lets you go in as you are at a point in time and really define what's important and align everyone in the same direction. You would have to, you need other things besides essential intent. Igor, maybe I'm wrong, but, or, or you'd have to do the essential intent exercise on some cadence every year, every two years, whatever, to make sure that everyone's realigns. Because as soon as you finish, this thing like becomes stale as soon as you're done. Everyone starts to drift again. And so I think this is a, almost a methodology. I can't even think of the right word, a tool set to align people in a point in time across aspirational, inspirational type stuff and also be practical. And, and the essential intent, there's a methodology that's associated with it. And so to me, I, I don't see it as competing with, hey, come up with your five-year goal. But that direction is, can be pretty vague. And when the team then goes and says, okay, our boss told us to create a five-year goal and they all get into the room to, to talk about it, now they're, if there's no structure for how to create that goal in a way that's you know, meaningful and measurable and inspirational and concrete and all these other sort of factors, then you might come out with a five-year goal that isn't as effective as something that you come up with an essential yeah. intent mindset. And I could see that. I, and that's where it's, where we don't have time. And this is probably not the right medium to go into the details of the methodology itself. There absolutely could be secret sauce in the essential intent methodology that makes it easier to define inspirational and concrete fiber goals. I, I'm, that's plausible to me. And, and maybe we can, if people want, we can dive deeper into what that methodology is. I think this points back to just at its core, how difficult it is for groups of humans, even small groups of humans, to agree on something that is further out than just a few weeks into the future from right now. I do agree there. So out of the methodology, and, and Igor, I'm really curious to see what you think about this. The essence, that first step is what you just said, right? Understanding what's essential. But then you prioritize and then you eliminate, which is so important. And we talked about this in our personal essential intent episode. That's a thing we just don't think about cutting stuff out. That's so important. And then executing what's left and, and thinking about how to change the systems and, and people and process and technology in place to make sure that you can do it effectively. So the, the, what you're talking about is one component. It's the beginning component, one of four of the essentialism process and flow. And I don't think that there's anything maybe magical in essential intent, in essentialism for individuals or organizations around setting that goal, except that it asks you to balance aspiration with concreteness. And the most meaningful part to me, and I mentioned this earlier, is just people just don't do it. It's, it. People just don't do it. And that's what gets organizations into trouble. They have, they spend a lot of energy working on things that don't make a difference. Do you think, because that's hard for individuals, well, we talked about that. And so do you think the problem is harder for organizations to think about what's essential, prioritize, stop doing things, and focus? Is it one and the same between oh, individuals it's, it's and organizations? It's harder? It's harder because 
if we create an analogy, let's say with a person doing it, this is somebody who's trying to do that in their life, but suffer from multi, multiple personality disorders because there's voices in their head with a lot of times competing thoughts. One person wants to be a business consultant and then the other person wants to sell seashells on the seashore and another one would just rather sing opera or something. And so I think it's much harder for organizations because there's so many more competing voices because at the end of the day, organizations are made up of individuals and it's really uncommon for all those individuals to agree all the time and even reconcile that. I think it's much easier for a human being that doesn't have multiple personality disorder to do that. So I think it's more difficult. And I would agree there, Igor, you've seen this, you've done these workshops, helped align project teams, product teams, clients, organizations against an essential intent. There is an appetite, a craving for that level of dialogue and intentionality and analysis because everybody feels like physiologically that something's missing. When you point out, it's like, hey, everyone's just going in their own direction. We don't have this guiding uh, intention, what strategy, vision, whatever you want to call it, that galvanizes us towards in a common direction. And everyone thinks, oh, yeah, we need that. Let's go. And then it, there's a, the juices get flowing pretty quickly. There's not a lot of friction there when everyone's, hey, it's been so long. We really feel that this is missing. It does make it easier, I think. Yeah, in my experience, that's really why I implemented this technique. And sometimes I have another tool that I use called the five bold steps vision tool. And, and you can really partner with the essential intent workshop and then use them together. And then use something like the OKR tool to break down goals on a much more granular level. And so not all organizations are ready to take on like the full, the big enchilada of those, all those three things working together. And so depending on the most immediate perceived pain, you know, is usually what uh, I look at to start a company with. Sometimes a client needs to get into OKRs first. Sometimes they need to do the, the vision uh, workshop and sometimes they need essential intent. So and, this is a tool yeah. in the leader's toolbox and the organization's toolbox. And, and so when do we wield this tool? Like when, in your experience, when do we talk about essentialism in an organization? So the times where, where I've chosen to wield this tool is when, and, and usually the way that we engage with our clients is we have a series of interviews with different stakeholders and people that are part of the organization. And the biggest symptom that tells me that essential intent might be the right tool is when I see folks either being paralyzed during the decision-making process or when I see decisions coming from different parts of the organizations or sometimes even within the same team that seem to be at odds with one another and cancel each other out. Or when you can't get people together maybe to do the workshop to begin with because they're in meetings for 12 hours a day and you're getting replies to your emails at two in the morning because everyone's just so busy running around putting out fires. Yeah. Some, sometimes that's, that's also a symptom. Sure. Charles, I appreciate your skepticism. I hope you know that. I don't think he likes it. I don't think Charles is going to be running any essentialism <laughs> workshops anytime soon. That's okay. Not everybody needs every tool in their toolbox. I'm trying to be essential about the tools that I add to my toolbox. That's I, true. You open up your <laughs> toolbox and you have too many tools in there. You don't know which one you should pull out. What's the opposite problem of when the only tool you have a ha is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail? 
The other problem is when you have a million tools in your toolbox, you don't know which one to pull well, out for the, for the I mean, screw. I, I, all kidding aside, though, like I, I think I'm going to go back to what I said before. It is hard to get people to consistently come together, align on something that requires more than a couple of weeks to do. It is just hard to direct groups of human beings, period. And we need innovation in terms of how we do that. And sure, there's decades of research around vision, strategy, goals, tactics, objectives, metrics. And now there's OKRs and essential intent. That's all good. That's all good from my perspective. We need that. I'm not educated enough on essential intent at an organizational level to really understand how I would wield it. And I think that's where my skepticism comes into play. It doesn't mean it's good. It's not good, but I'm sure it's fantastic. And the fact that you've used it and have gotten results and you wanted to bring this to our listeners' attention is enough for me to say it gives my vote of confidence. But I certainly don't feel confident that I would be able to execute one, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not a good tool. And I liked your question, Robert, around, okay, when would we actually wield this tool? I think that's probably, that's like an important question that as as a leader, we need to be asking ourselves all the time to make sure that we select the right one. And we have to be open to the fact that maybe we don't have the tool that we need. And maybe I need essential intent and I don't have it and I should invest some time to learn it. And that's my takeaway. We can talk about it later offline about what you've actually done in those workshops, because I'm just dying to know. It's like, how did you guide these people in this chaos to get them to arrive at something that is materially better? Right? That's, yeah, why wouldn't I want to learn a technique that can do that? So I'm excited to learn. Yeah. Don't take my skepticism as a cynicism. In other words, it's not. get off my lawn, Igor. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that the bar for success is extraordinarily low, Charles. Because I'm going to repeat this for the fourth time, that what we're competing with is doing nothing. Yeah, I, I don't think I understood know. what you meant the first three times you said it, but now I actually do. No, I think I understand. So like, I'm with you. I'm with you. Maybe. All right. So I know we have, <laughs> we have, a, we have a hard stop here in a few minutes. Igor, bring it home. How can one get started if you're either an individual contributor on a team and you see these symptoms, it's probably really obvious, right? Like I remember my days as a developer, it's just like that lack of direction seemed so silly. And then the goals and objectives and, and the concrete things you have to don't make any sense. So why would I, like, why am I going to kill myself to try to get this thing done? So if you're an individual contributor, if you're a leader of a team, if you're a product owner, a scrum master, an executive, like what are, give us some sort of next steps where we can experiment with essentialism without having to master it in order to move our organizations forward. Yep, sure. One one of the things that you really want to keep front of mind is we talked about these polarities. And so whenever you are running some sort of workshop, let's say your boss does tell you to like, hey, I want a five-year vision or a five-year plan or a five-year goal, whatever it is. And, and you get into a room with your colleagues and you're hashing it out first thing that you want to do is actually question the time horizon that was given to you and, and talk about is five years the appropriate time horizon for what we're trying to do here, right? Given our vision that most companies have. Once you figure out the right time horizon, you can then start testing the idea from different people. Like, what do we want to accomplish? And 
ensure that what you're looking at, what you're talking about is outcomes. You know, outcomes is getting people, getting everyone online is an outcome, right? Building uh, a Wi-Fi um, access point is an output, right? Now, it may be part of the outcome, but so you want to be outcome focused and, and then you want to scope it in such a way where it's inspirational, it's concrete, it's meaningful to the group, and it's also measurable if you're, you're succeeding or not. Everyone on the internet by 2012, 150 homes in the ninth ward that are, meet certain criteria, very measurable. And, uh, and then the other thing that you want to test is, all right, here's some decisions that we've had to make in the last couple of months. Why don't we test if the essential intent is actually helping us make good decisions? Right. And so maybe go through some of the old decisions that you've had to make and now apply this as the new criteria and, and see if that, if you feel like that's helping you. Be Igor, alive. I got a, another example and this did not, this was like accidental essentialism where we had a really large product team and we had like a quality issue. Like a, a lot of defects were piling up faster than we were squashing the bugs. And so that's not a long term way to, run a successful software development project. And we were not getting a lot of traction trying to get approval. Can we peel another developer off for a sprint to try to tame some of these defects? And so what we said was, we we want zero defects by the end of the quarter, like zero. Which in software development, you never have zero defects. If you don't have any in the system, you just haven't found them yet. But that really galvanized everyone. It's like, we and we got buy-in, like executive buy-in. It's like, oh yeah, everyone's energized around this quality effort zero defects. And we got down to 12, right? So technically failed, but it's better than the hundreds we had. And that really helped everyone focus their energy. The quality ticked up. People were able to build features faster later because there wasn't so much tar pit around to mire you down when you did work. And then when we were done, we moved on. And I think that was like a really interesting, maybe accidental point in time example of essentialism, where it certainly rallied everyone. It was concrete and aspirational at the same time. Much shorter time frame, though. That's right. Impossible is aspirational, isn't it? But, no, maybe not exactly one of the defects. The, the, yeah. the key there is just to have no QA. Yeah, there you go. But this is what I think has clicked for me. And Igor, you were talking about the difference between an output and the outcome. I think that for me... I have seen time and time again, people have a really hard time defining their outcomes. They know exactly what they need to do now and maybe even next year, but getting them to articulate what is the outcome of that work is so hard. And I I don't exactly know why. To me, maybe it's like first order thinking, second order thinking. It's like, hey, it's so easy to see the first order effects of what we do. Like we produce a Wi-Fi access point and yet we confuse that with the actual outcome that we want, like the impact and the change that we want to see in the system. And um, I'll include in the show notes, a colleague of ours shared with me a document from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is a guide to actionable measurement, which I think was really impactful for me in helping to think about how businesses, not just nonprofits, because this is targeted at the nonprofit space, can think about measuring, defining, and thinking about both outputs and outcomes, because you need both, right? You need both outputs and outcomes in order to have the results that you want. And 
I think there's a lot that business world can learn from nonprofits about how do you get really good at identifying the outcomes that you want and then letting those guide your short, short-term actions. Not, you're right, Charles. Nonprofits are so good at that. And, and they have to be. Gates right? Foundation, they can say, hey, our essential intent is to wipe malaria off as a disease in sub-Saharan Africa, right? And that's a very much an essential intent. And you're either doing things towards that outcome or you're not, right? And the outputs might be number of people vaccinated, water treatment, those sort of things. But at the end of the day, the question is, did you wipe out you know, malaria? Hopefully this was helpful to somebody other than Charles. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if I <laughs> shut down the conversation. We should talk next no, time about man. whether we, I should be... We talked be, for an hour about this. This is great. Skeptical. No, you should definitely not. be skeptical, especially for our next... Uh, series. So I encourage everyone to put on their skeptical hat because there's a lot of uh, people selling snake oil and you want to make sure that you're critically assessing what's being presented to you. And so Charles, I greatly appreciate your skepticism and and the discussion and dialogue we have today. And this is a tool to use as it makes sense and to experiment with and grow with. This is not a silver bullet. Yeah. And we would would never say that. It's it's an experiment. And is this going to, is this going to work or is this not going to work? I, I think I'd have to try it with more clients to to really get a good feel for it. But like I said, the bar for success was being measured against doing nothing. And so I know it helped the clients yeah. because it was something where there was nothing before. And last thing I will say, before you try to do this with your team or your clients, do this for yourself. That, that should be a prerequisite. Like yeah, it's a non-starter. Dog, dog food this thing. Yeah. For sure. That's a great call out, Charles. Don't experiment with your vaccine on the vulnerable <laughs> and the unaware. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, thanks, well, guys. thanks for your time today. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, it was great talking yeah. to you. Thanks, Igor. Bye-bye. Have a See good you. one. Bye. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WannaGrabCoffee or drop us a line at hello at WannaGrabCoffee.com. 